Hi everyone! Thank you for joining us. This is our Facebook They're gonna be. Oh yeah! I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we're reading the juicy yet poignant nonfiction New York Times bestseller. Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. And my, oh my, (laughs) I've been looking forward to this one, ladies. I was hooked by page one. I know. This is going to be quite a month and pretty apropos for who we are. Three women with three different stories and points of view coming together. Thank you, Brandy, for recommending this pick and for gifting both of us with a copy. Yeah. <laughs> now, last week we had our very first guest, and Chicas, I think it was beyond successful. One yes. <laughs> that stayed true to our epic happy hour tradition, where one hour is realistically three plus right. four, five, six, seven. seven. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you all had a restful and, as Emma puts it, an emotionally fulfilled Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Coming oh. to you, ladies from the Sunshine State, I am ready to gavin drink. Hopefully, my parents and Andrew aren't listening in from the outside of my closet because I'm sure that we're going to be getting into some pretty charged get saucy. Yes. <laughs> so, Emma, yes, what's on our menu for today? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. We're being a little sneaky with today's cocktail because we're taking a classic and renaming her to fit in a little more with this, as you said, juicy novel. Ooh, today's yeah. cocktail is called... Menage a trois. Well, we do get a glimpse into one of our characters' very own menage a trois. This cocktail has also been granted this name because she has three ingredients. Here to share the recipe for this seductive sipper is our suave resident bartender, Ricardo. Ricardo. Hi, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hi. Hi. How are you? Fantastic. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Are you thirsty? Yeah. Perfect. You know who you're talking to? Yes. (laughs) So that's another reason why I'm going to change the recipe right now. Yes. We are going to do a twist. It's not a twist. It's actually changing a little bit the recipe just because it's you. And I know that you need strong cocktails. So we're going to take the recipe for the perfect martini and we're going to call it the menage a trois. Yeah. And we're going to change a little bit of the ratios so you can enjoy more your cocktails. I know you, so I know what you like. I know how to let appreciate the cocktail for you. Yeah, that sounds good. Perfect. (laughs) I'm all for this one. So the ingredients for these cocktails are two ounces of gin, half of an ounce of dry vermouth and a half of an ounce of sweet vermouth. It's a regular martini technique, so you put all the ingredients in the mixing glass, you stir. Oh, so you don't shake. Never shake a martini. You stir and then you strain up in a chilled glass and you're gonna garnish your cocktail with a lemon twist. Oh, and a, and a straw, right? And of course, a long straw. No, Brandy, no straw. 
I thought he was gonna go with it there for a second. <laughs> I know, so did I. <laughs> so uh, the appearance of the cocktails look like a little bit more brown than a very dark, dirty martini. Uh, no olives, please, because you have the sweet vermouth as ingredient of this cocktail. So yeah. this cocktail is gonna have like a, a different profile than a regular martini because it's not that strong. The the you can't you can't taste that much the botanical of the gin because the sweetness of the vermouth it's gonna cover a little bit and make it more enjoyable and easy to drink. So mm -hmm. for this reason, it's even way more dangerous than a regular martini. Yeah. <laughs> regular martini usually it takes a little bit more time to. <laughs> to to go through but like this cocktail can can be very dangerous so got it so we'll proceed yes. with caution exactly <laughs> for the for this particular cocktail i used two italian vermouth for the dry one i used dolin vermouth and for the sweet vermouth i used cocky that is one of the if not the most famous uh italian sweet vermouth it's from piemonte in the north and for the gin, I decided to switch to a very small and uh, not that well-known brand that is called Misguided. Mm -hmm. They have few bottles for now. They have gin, uh, vodka, and whiskey, but they're doing a pretty amazing job. So I think that it's good to mention them. I really love the, the gin. I, I think that I'm gonna buy the, the whiskey too, but it's a very nice company, so check them out. And Excited. Yes, and enjoy your drinks right now. And alla vostra salute, ragazze. Ooh, thank you. Gracias. Ciao, ragazze. Bye. Bye, Ricardo. All right, ladies. Salute. Cheers. Salute. Mm. Oh, she packs a punch. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Are you feeling oh, a menage a trois in your chest? <laughs> well, with I am. too, and this drink, yes, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this drink could probably get me to do a lot of things. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't even think about the fact that we're a menage a trois, in, yeah. in, in a sense. <laughs> in a I just sense. thought about that. Hey, now. Okay. I feel warm. Well, I do, too. This drink is yummy, and it's Perfect, I feel like, for the chapters we read this week. And I am dying to get in it. So, <laughs> this week we met Maggie, Lena, and Sloan, three women who I have to say are gutsy as fuck to have shared not only their stories with the writer, but also their deepest inner thoughts and desires and events that lead up to life changing encounters for each of them. Mm -hmm. So, Maggie is a young woman who sits in a courtroom opposite her once teacher and mm -hmm. lover question mark yeah Erin Nodell we learned that Maggie struggles in her family life as both of her parents are alcoholics and that she catches the eye of her teacher after a relationship with an older man causes her to become a bit of an outcast at school and in an effort to feel a little less lonely she writes Erin a letter to tell him about what she's going through Trouble is not far behind, I think. Mm. Lena is a teenage girl who just wants a boyfriend. <laughs> 
she <laughs> finally seems to get everything she thought she wanted. But when she and her boyfriend start to drift apart, she accepts an invitation to a party from another boy. Hmm. When she arrives, the party is less a party and more a group of guys hanging out. Ugh. And after she accepts a drink from one of them, things start to get fuzzy. I felt like my stomach drop out of my body when mm. this moment happened. But we'll talk I about agree. it. The rumors around school the next day are that Lena had sex with three guys in a single night. And Sloane is a self-assured 40-something woman who seems happily married to Richard. Together they own and run a restaurant, a passion for them both. And one night, after one thing leads to another, she finds herself engaged in a menage a trois with her husband and one of their restaurant employees. <laughs> that was a fabulous synopsis, Brandy. Seriously. I know. Oh, thank you. you. It all. Wait, so are we drinking every time we say menage a trois? I guess we should. I guess we're going to have to start fitting that in there. <laughs> Cheers. Whoa, fitting that in there. Hmm. Oh, that's what she said. God. <laughs> Two minutes in. <laughs> wow, Mariana. Well, it wasn't me, it was Emma. I don't know how to start talking about this because the first question that I wanted to ask that I wasn't going to ask until right now is which woman you felt more of a um, kinship to, Mm -hmm. which I know is a little tricky because their circumstances are very, very different from one another. But I felt at different moments through reading this, I felt like I was relating or connecting to certain parts of each woman. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Very much so. Um, I, I think with Lena, for me, it was when she puts this like mask on, like she was saying when she first goes to the court that she has to like arm herself with this, with the makeup and not really be able to show her true feelings after not having seen mm-hmm. Aaron in, for so long. Oh, Maggie. Oh, I'm sorry. Maggie. I said oh. Lena. Ma- Maggie. So, because that's who we open. That's the first character we meet. Right. Mm-hmm. That definitely for me, uh, just her like being so wanting to say, I love you. I'm tired. Yes, I've gained 30 pounds, but not being able to like really express that. I very much related to her in that um, with Lena obsessing over something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with Sloane that she's experienced so much and it's become a mature person and like kind of owns herself but still is a little weary of her choices yeah i i I agree with you i found myself to i found myself relating to all three of them at different moments Mm -hmm. which i think is you know i think that's something that makes this book so great is that while there are three very particular stories while these three women go through very particular circumstances like even even you know with Lena's story which we'll talk about I kept thinking to myself like this could have happened to anyone mm-hmm. I mean the same thing with Maggie really like this could have happened to anyone. anyone yeah I also thought what was really cool is as I was reading it I would think to myself oh I'm I'm like this part of this person but mm-hmm. then I had to ask myself am I or do I wish that I were Hmm. Oh, interesting. Because there were a lot of elements where I I felt really connected to it, but I realized that I hadn't actually experienced it myself. It just Mm. felt like something that I wish that I had explored or something that I could have been close to. Like you were saying, something, you know, that that could have been or if I if I touched the flame, 
So I thought that right. was interesting too is uh, like, does it feel relatable because I've been through it or because it's something that I've thought about so often? Well, I think on some level too, I think some of these situations feel relatable because we all have a friend or a family member or your mom, or we all know a woman who has gone through, even if we haven't personally, we all know a woman who's gone through at least some of these things, yeah. you know? So I feel like that also makes it really accessible. And how amazing are these women that were willing to oh share these stories, God. share the letters, share emails, like really go in depth about how each of these moments in their life, how they impacted them and what it really was like. Because mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes yeah. you do share a story, but you don't really go deep down to really mm-hmm. go through all the feelings that you felt and really just immerse yourself in what was actually happening at the time and yeah. be that vulnerable to really share that with someone who's then going to publish a book based on I your know. story. <laughs> well, and even starting with the prologue, when we get that account of what happened to Lisa's to mom Lisa. oh, in God, Italy in the 60s. Right. I think yeah. so. I mean, that on it, I didn't even realize that I was reading the prologue at first. I think that I thought that I had just like started reading the book because I was so excited to start. And I was like, holy so, shit. Like, yeah. this is. And I had the same questions that Lisa asks of her mom. Like, why didn't mm-hmm. she tell anybody? Why didn't yeah. she? How did she allow that to happen for as long as she did? Oof, that. Yeah. Same as you, Emma. Like, I was so struck by this prologue. Mm-hmm. And one of the quotes in that chapter that really gave me pause, Lisa writes, often the type of waiting that women do is to make sure other women approve so that they may also approve of themselves. Mm. It's women in many of the stories I've heard who have greater hold over other women than men have. We can make each other feel dowdy, whorish, unclean, unloved, not beautiful. Mm. And I feel like she's exploring so much in this book. But I think one of the biggest things she's trying to assert is that our fellow women's judgments on us play a huge role in our lives, in our happiness, in our perceived value. And I think, I mean, even going back to that story that you were just talking about, what happens to her mom, Emma, I think a lot of the stories in this book do sort of center around men mm-hmm. and how men have affected these women. Right. But I think sort of the untold story and what she's trying to get at a little bit too is the way other women shape what these three women are going through. Right. The women in their communities and all that. And how a lot of it and, is fear-based. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious for you two what your relationships with women have been like over the years. Have you always been close with women? Is it something that came with age? Have you always felt supported by women and in turn been supportive? Or have you ever been the victim or instigator of, as Mean Girl put, Mean Girls puts <laughs> it, because I love Mean Girls, girl <laughs> on girl crime? My relationship with women has definitely gone through a lot of different phases during the course of my lifetime. And it's sometimes and oftentimes actually been pretty tricky Mm-hmm. Growing up before the age of nine, my only close friends were girls who lived in my neighborhood mm-hmm. and part of families that came to be really close family friends. And things felt really simple then. And we played make-believe yeah. and we foraged mm-hmm. in the woods. And mm-hmm. it didn't seem that any of us were self-conscious to be our awkward little selves around yeah. each other. You know, oh, that yeah. fun childhood totally. spirit. And with some of them, as we grew older and we didn't see as much of each other, it felt as if we were putting on like face when we did hang out at family Mm -hmm. gatherings, you know, like it Mm -hmm. felt a little forced as if we had lost our young girl spunk 
Um, and I ended up actually losing a lot of those relationships. Like we just don't stay in touch anymore. Mm-hmm. And then in elementary school, I was definitely a victim of girl on girl crime. I I so desperately wanted to be part of the cool girls clique. And I did anything and everything that they told me I needed to to fit in. I let them dictate what clothes I should wear, what Mm. makeup to wear. And this was in fourth grade, mind you, what Mm. music to listen to. Starts young. Yeah, man. Mm. Even what pens to use. Like, I listened to everything that they said. And I'll never forget, one day we were sitting at a table in the classroom. And I don't actually remember what they said. But one of them them said something that offended me. And I tried to defend myself. And one of the girls said, you know, Emma, we made you. (gasps) <gasps> Whoa! And I got really upset, and I tried to counter that that wasn't true, but deep down I knew that it was. Whoa! And I knew oh. that I had let them take away my uniqueness and my spunk, oh. and like molded me into a robot version of themselves. <sighs> so that was really tricky in elementary school. I have a novel for you for this answer. I love this question, so <laughs> I know. Giving, so do I. I'm so I'm going to be patient with you. <laughs> It's I'm giving you a history a of Emma. Question. Yes, it yeah. very much is. I feel that. Yeah. I'm, I'm giving you the journey. Yeah. Okay. So then I went to an all-girl middle school in its first year of conception, and there were only 12 of us, and we were all super close. There was no huh. cattiness, no clickiness, Aww. no gossiping. Thank we felt God. Like si- yeah, <laughs> it was, could have been really bad. Um, right? 12 girls. I know. Yeah. <clears throat> no, we really felt like sisters, and- it was beautiful, and it remained that way for the following two years that we spent together in middle school. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was incredible. definitely a a unique experience. I know that. Now that I'm recalling all of these friendships, I'm finding it funny that in my later years, to answer another part of your question, Brandy, I feel much more comfortable hanging out with guys than I do gals. Mm -hmm. I think because I found that guys don't bullshit behind your back. Mm Mm-hmm. And when they say something, they mean it. Like there's no mm-hmm. guessing if they're telling yeah. the truth or if there's an ulterior motive. They cut mm-hmm. right to the chase. Mm-hmm. And I really admire that probably because that's yeah. something I've never been good at and I wish I could do better. Mm. Yeah. And I have noticed that now my female friendships that I've held on to and that I cherish, like with you two, Arisha, <laughs> are, with, are with strong women who aren't shy to be themselves in whatever mm. way that looks like and they speak their minds. And sadly, I've had to let go of some female friendships when I felt like they only came to me to complain or if they didn't have any self-worth and we would just go around in the same circle for years and years. And with me trying to build them up and let them see how wonderful they are, and it took some time for me to realize that they're never gonna, if they're never going to do the work to see that in themselves yeah. or if they can't believe it, it was just too toxic of an energy to be around and I had to let those friendships go. Anyway, so I just also realized through this <laughs> journey that I took you on <laughs> that I was also, I think, um, I was really lucky enough to grow up with really good family friends who all had Aww. strong women as the mother figure, mm. who were amazing role models of the type of woman that I wanted to be. And while I didn't realize it growing up, these fabulous women have played a huge impact on who I've become and who I'm still striving to become. Mm. Yeah. So that was a lot. <laughs> but it's a really it's a really good question and it's complicated. It really is. It really because is. there are there's a lot of elements, I think, to to female relationships. Yeah, agreed. For me, there are many similarities, Emma, because 
I have definitely fallen victim to the girl on girl crime. Mm. Um, and, and again, it's like, don't get me wrong, because I had really beautiful relationships like you, Emma, with girlfriends growing up. But I tended to hang out or party with boys more. And I think it had a lot to do with me being in the arts from such a young age. Like you right. both know that I I was in a magnet art program since fifth grade and I attended New World School of the Arts in, for high school in Miami. So because of being in the arts and because of being, well, in the performing arts, there was so much jealousy mm-hmm. and such a competitive edge to yeah. my relationships with other girls yeah. in the program that... I leaned into trusting boys more at the mm-hmm. time because I just always felt that there was something behind the friendship. I remember back to my freshman year of high school when and at that point we were basically treated like adults because attending New World School of the Arts. It was in downtown Miami and it was also part of their college campus. So mm. we were left to be completely independent. But wow. because we were freshmen, we were the new blood who came in and immediately we were labeled. Like that's that's basically what happened. So I was very quick to like kind of form bonds with whoever I gravitated towards or superficially gravitated towards. And I thought that I had actually built like a really strong bond. Then, unfortunately, when people found out that like or at least they they saw me as smart and talented and, you know, a go getter, these clicks started forming kind of without me. Not to my knowledge, because I thought I was still within the clique, but apparently I wasn't. So we went to our Christmas break. We went on Christmas break, came back. And these ladies that were all dancers that I thought were, this is so funny, that I thought that I was a part of their clique. They all came back with jackets embroidered in the back saying pink ladies. And there were pink jackets with the black embroidery that that said pink ladies. All of them bought it during Christmas and none of them told me. So it was like, not that I would have wanted no. to be a pink lady. And this was freshman year of high school. Like, come on, you can be a little bit more adult than that, especially going to a school like this. But I felt so left out because I was like, what What does this mean? Like, why would you deliberately just push me aside like that? Now I know that it was because of my talents and because there were certain things that they were envious of. But to a 14-year-old, it, it hurts your heart. Because oh, you thought course. that you were friends with them. So at that point, I was like, you know what? I need to form friendships with boys and other concentrations and upperclassmen who really supported me and really celebrated my victories. Which mm. I think because of that, it's also made me a more well-rounded individual where I had friendships like you, Emma, outside of school. And because of family, friends, I also like was able to lean on them and trust them a little bit more. But then I also protected myself. So it's taken me a long time to kind of be vulnerable with women, even though I did have those female relationships, but to really be open enough to show my vulnerability in front of girlfriends. And I actually do think that because of this podcast in particular, that it took me until my 30s to now be able to be me in front of women that can possibly be in the same industry as you but that envy isn't something that you kind of have to fear and it mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be present in a special relationship oh my god that pink lady story just <laughs> i know heart, that's so sad honestly. yeah especially since you're like one of the sweetest people so i just can't imagine people doing that to you Fuck yeah, those pink jealousy ladies. is a big thing i'm telling you oh 
Well, yeah, I mean, similar to both of you for me, I, I feel I feel I feel a little bad saying this, but I feel like I've sort of been on both sides. Like I've definitely I think early on I really struggled with female relationships like in elementary school, I definitely had sort of a, a big falling out with my girlfriends mm. and so then would gravitate more towards my guy friends. And then that happened again in middle school. That happened again in high school. And so I think I just sort of learned to like close off and like not trust female mm-hmm. relationships, mm-hmm. which then sort of, I hate to say this, but like in college, I kind of felt like, well, I'm just not a girl's girl. Like I'm not a, I'm not a girl that other girls like. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember having that thought and, like, even saying that, which kind of grosses me out now. But it would cause me to be kind of a bitch to other girls Mm -hmm. because it was almost like a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in asking this question, like, I'm very aware that, like, if this question were posed to some of the women that I knew in college, I would probably be the mean girl in -hmm. their story, Mm -hmm. which kills me now. But I think it was, like, in my later 20s that I sort of started to recognize that that was sort of the pattern I had fallen into because I had been hurt, then I was hurting people. So, yeah, I feel like it's taken me a really long time to get to a place where I adore my female friendships and I feel like, I I feel like you don't really have, I have very close relationships with with male friends, but it's not the same. It's not the same as a friendship you have with another woman, I don't think. So it's taken me a, a really long time to be able to say that, like, I, I do think I'm a girl's girl. And, mm-hmm. like, I think that's something to be, like, really proud of. Where you can be a guy that's... and a girl's girl. Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. I just, I, I feel like for so long I would say to myself that women didn't like me. Mm-hmm. And what it, I think what it really was was just me being afraid of right. not being liked. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, because women are really, they can be really cruel to each other. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of it is just being afraid. Yeah. One of the first quotes that I wrote down that, that really resonated with me in the book was, one inheritance of living under the male gaze for centuries is that heterosexual women often look at other women the way a man would. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... That, that ties into what we're saying now because yeah. I don't know if you – I think that's also part of that – I don't know if fear is the right word, but part of that um, anxiety that I get sometimes about other women is how I'm perceived by them. Like it, mm-hmm. I, it matters more to me what women think of me than what men think of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know what that is. Yeah. Isn't there that saying that you when you dress to go out, you're dressing more for the other woman as opposed to dressing for like that your significant other or like uh, the date you're going on? There's oh, something like that. People yeah. say that quite often that it's really you're yeah. dressing up for the other the other female voice there that's going right. to like say something about you or react a certain way. Yeah, it's so true. Well, should we go on to the first chapter where we can dive in a little bit more about Maggie, the first character that we yeah. meet? It was... Well, what first struck me about this, it was on the first page, and that's why I said that I was hooked from the first page when she spoke about her father's suicide, that she brought up like right away how he slit his wrist. I was just like, wow, this is really, we're we're going places here to like mm-hmm. really, um, but something that I really wanted to kind of talk a little bit with you girls about, and this is something that I find really sad about, uh, 
impressionable children or just individuals in general that if they don't have someone to talk to Mm. or someone that can listen to them or hear them or understand them, they're going to gravitate towards people that might eventually take advantage of them. And that like really breaks my heart with Maggie's story because we soon find that she's there in a courtroom, like I mentioned before, against her teacher that she possibly had a relationship or if it was rape or we don't know if they were lovers. We have no idea, like Brandy was mentioning before. And it's, it's just, it's so upsetting to me that she was taking advantage of this way. See, I, I have questions about that because it, maybe this is terrible, but when I first read that when she was in Hawaii and are you talking about taking advantage of by the teacher or in Hawaii or both? I'm talking about by um, Nodell. Oh, okay. Because initially I thought you were talking about with Mateo, the older guy in Hawaii when she was 16. And because I was just about to say, maybe this is terrible, but I didn't, um, I didn't read that and think that that was like super fucked up because I was like, she's old enough to make those decisions for herself. And she was excited about it. It wasn't like, I don't know, this is like a, this is. This is scary waters to talk about because <laughs> later somewhere in the book, she Maggie is referring to Mateo as her rapist. Yeah. Um, and I was confused by that because I hadn't I hadn't interpreted at that as such because it felt very consensual. But then I thought maybe it's because she was too young to know what to be able to say no and he should have known better because he was older and he shouldn't have let it happen. But I don't know. I think people willingly have sex at 16. And yeah, I think it's like, it's good that she waited till 16. I think girls are having sex younger and younger now. So I don't know. That that was a very tricky situation for me in terms of how, how this whole relationship with men for her started, which led her down the path to the teacher. Well, I mean, I think... The part where it got tricky for me was that, you know, they do say the age of consent in Hawaii is 16. 16. Yeah. Which is not true where she's from in, mm-hmm. is it Fargo? Yeah. yeah. The thing that got very tricky for me, because you're right, she does seem totally excited to be engaging in this relationship with Mateo. But Mateo's a lot older than her. Yeah. He's a friend of her brother's and is sneaking around behind the brother's back. Like, it's not like he's being totally forthcoming about what's going on. Like, it kind of seems like he is taking advantage of the fact that she's a younger girl. Mm. And and that's not okay. Yeah, I don't... I don't like, period. <laughs> it's not okay. And I think that she's probably... You know, there's a reason it's there's an age of consent. And I totally get that in Hawaii it was 16 or whatever. But like, yeah, I don't think she was old enough or experienced enough to have made that decision. Um, And it's funny, I was reading an article recently with Mary Kay Letourneau's husband, I guess, or ex-husband at this point. You guys know Mary Kay Letourneau. I don't. Oh, she was famously a teacher who slept with one of her male students and then went to jail. Oh, yeah. Now yeah, I know yeah, exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yes. <clears throat> I didn't and then I think got the pregnant and had his yep, child yep. and then she got we out of jail. We were teenagers when got... this happened. This was a while yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. But they went on to get married and I I, I know they had one child. Yeah, sure they had, had a relationship. Children. Yeah. But then they ended up getting divorced and it wasn't until years later that he was finally able to say, like, I can now recognize how fucked up it was, mm. what happened, years after the fact. Yeah. You know what? Like, he's married this woman and had children with her. And after all that time, now he's saying, 
yeah, I get it now. It's fucked up. You know what I mean? So I think the fact that it takes her a little bit of time to recognize that Mm -hmm. she was taken advantage of is totally normal. See, but I'm glad you bring up that article of that woman because what I was trying to, what I was talking about was Aaron, her teacher. I wasn't talking about Mateo because I actually thought that Mateo, because it was consensual, I don't think, yeah, she may or may have not been ready for that relationship with the 37 year old, but she did have sex. And she did. I think he was 37. I thought he was 31. I think he's 31. But either way, it's still a big age difference. It's still a big age difference. My point was that I really do think that she was taken advantage of by her teacher. Because a person in that position that is educating children, children, Mm -hmm. because she's still considered a child where she's at, that shouldn't, that should never be done. Like that, once he opened up that letter, read that letter and actually tried to talk to her about it instead of informing her Guidance parents, counselor or parents, counselor, not right. knowing like what her upbringing was like. Exactly. That's when he crossed the line. Instead, and he takes advantage of the situation. Exactly. Yeah, and the texting that was really that was really sm- yeah. uh, smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Disgusting. I found it really disturbing too. Um, in the courtroom, it really broke my heart. Some of the things you know, she's being questioned by Hoy. Which is the most obnoxious name. name. <laughs> he's questioning her and he's doing it in a way, you know, that clearly he's trying to slut shame her, I think. Like yeah. he's trying to make her sound like quote You've unquote, had lots of kind sex of in your life. Yeah. Right, exactly. And mm. so when she said, you know, men like him have the power to make the laws you live by. Men who talk as though dating sites were back page ads, as mm-hmm. though you were a girl who takes pictures of your face peeking out from between your own thighs. Mm-hmm. And God, in that moment, I was like, this is exactly why girls mm-hmm. don't come forward. People are always like, well, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you tell someone? And it's like this moment is exactly why. Yeah, Lisa writes, I think it's in the prologue that she says about Maggie, part of her narrative poses for the reader the all too familiar question of when and why and by whom women's mm-hmm. stories are believed and when <sighs> and why and by whom they are not. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that for me brought up so much rage and brought me right back to watching the Judge Kavanaugh trials. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Watching Dr. Christine Blase Ford on the stand. Yeah. And you could see these men in their eyes just not believing her or they didn't care because it had happened so long ago. Right. And like you said, they were questioning why she didn't speak up sooner. And I was like, mm-hmm. how dare you? Yeah. That was really hard for me to watch. And this quote brought me right back to that. It was infuriating. Mm-hmm. My favorite part, though, about because, I mean, we sat and watched that. I mm-hmm. feel like from we were just in front of the TV all day for that but what I loved was when I can't remember who asked her they were like you know how is it possible that there are details that you don't remember mm. and yet when it comes to the event itself you remember these very specific things and, and they were asking her this to try to discredit her right and she fired back with such a fucking specific answer about how rape victims recall very specific things because you know now she she's works in trauma like she Mm -hmm. understands these things probably better than almost anybody else and so she was able to fire back this very specific very scientific answer about why that was the case and I was like yes yes girl get him (laughs) 
Well, well, not even, I mean, it is fast forwarding a little bit, but Lena talks about that towards the end of her chapter when we're introduced oh to her. Oh my God. During that experience with those three oh my God. colleagues right. of hers from school, right. she says certain things that she doesn't recall, but there's certain mm-hmm. things that she does because it was a traumatic moment. And as mm-hmm. we've said before in the podcast, when you face a traumatic moment, a lot of times you erase it from your memory or you're, yeah. you're willing right. to erase it because it's just too much to recall. Yeah. Or in her case, she was clearly slipped something. Right. That purple that, drink. That makes right. You, right. Yeah. yeah that exactly. Fucks with your memory. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> Going back to the prologue, because, you know, I like to jump around a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> It's DJ I don't want to go in order. Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> I shall now be referenced as DJ M's. Thank you. <laughs> Going back oh, to the God. prologue, that was making me think about how I was just talking to my mom the other day about my two aunts who were both nuns and they both joined the convent oh, really right. early really early on in their lives. And I realized that I didn't know any of their history. Like I didn't know, I had never mm-hmm. thought to ask if either of them had had boyfriends or had sexual mm-hmm. relations prior to joining the convent. And then after reading the prologue and Lisa talks about her mom, it made me want to go back and like ask all of the women in my life, all of the, all of that history. I just think, yeah. I think that's important to pass that down. Yeah, I totally agree. That's all. That's all I wanted to say about that. One thing I I wanted to say about Maggie that just kind of broke my heart, I really loved the description of Maggie as told by herself and some of her friends from the time, I'm assuming. But it's a description they give of her before all all of the stuff with Aaron happens, before the stuff with Mateo happens. They say... Maggie is not the type to take someone's word about someone else's mm-hmm. hotness. Mm-hmm. They're talking about Aaron. Mm-hmm. And she won't go along with popular opinion just to fit in. Her friends say she has no filter. They laugh about it, but secretly they're happy she's on their team. She's the type to tell a man he isn't going to step outside, so he might as well not say, do you want to step outside? And despite her problems at home, you know, we hear that her parents are alcoholics and like you said, her dad eventually does kill himself. So clearly there's a lot going on there. But despite all that, she seems really lively and she seems liked and sure of herself and Mm -hmm. she's in sports and she seems just like really full of potential. Mm -hmm. And she's so different from the girl that we're presented with years later in that courtroom. Right. With all her pill bottles and her broken family. By this time, her dad has killed himself. And like you said, Mariana, she's wearing that mask mm-hmm. to try to, I guess, just the mask protect of her herself. makeup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just really broke my heart to see how different she was before this thing happened to her, and like she'll she'll never get that back. Like those years are gone. Did either of you the- watch the Jeffrey Epstein documentary? Girl, I tried. And see those women testify all those years later. Oh, I mean, the parallels are uncanny like it's the you know they'll never be the same yeah what's really heartbreaking is the after Aaron stage of her life where she acknowledges Aaron of like the person being the only person that could take care of her yeah she she says nobody's taking care of you the way he can no one nobody is listening nobody is listening the way that he did 
all those hours like a father and a husband and a teacher and your best friend. So he was, as she said at one point, the VIP of her life. Mm. Yeah. And the VIP of her life, we will probably soon find out, hurt her the most. And because of him, she will, like you said, Brandy, will never be the same. That that light that she once had as a young woman was completely extinguished. And it's really sad to think about, like, if it had gone a different way, if he had taken that letter to a guidance counselor, if she had gotten the help that she needed. Yeah. You know, where where would she have ended up? I wanted to ask you guys because I was a little bit I was a little bit on the fence about something and (laughs) it feels like a shitty question. So I apologize if it's shitty. Now I'm excited for it. Well, I was having a really hard time with at the, you know, at the beginning of the book, Maggie's seeing him for the first time again at the courtroom and she's talking about seeing him and how he's so angry with her. But like, it seems like there's still so much feeling for him Mm -hmm. from her, even though this has been, I think, years later that all of this stuff has happened. Yeah. Yeah. But it still seems like she's in love with this guy, even though at one point she says she's not Mm -hmm. or she thinks it. She thinks that she's not. Do you what did you guys have a thought about that? Is she still in love with this person? Was she ever in love with this person? Like, what is this moment where she's looking at him in the courtroom and like reliving her past with him? I mean, I think that's actually like a really human condition where um, it's like you fall in love with your captor. I think it's possible to feel disgusted by and oh gosh, terrorized by someone, but then also still have feelings of longing or desire. I mean, it's mm. really complicated, but I, I think that's I think that's just uh, part of the brain. <laughs> I also yeah. do think that Aaron showed up at a time or like put himself in her world at a time where she was being rejected by everyone around her because of what she True. apparently did. Her friends completely were like that she was now the whore of the school. Her parents right. did not even want to right. look at her. Her family completely dismissed her. He was the only one that was there right. to give her a hug. Like that's what mm. she wanted. She was just she just wanted to be able to speak her truth with someone and for someone to understand that it it was normal. She wanted a normal situation and he gave that to her even though how abnormal <laughs> the scenario ended right. up being. Right. So I think she just like she held on to that. And because she was still young, she didn't know how to then see that what was actually happening was him, again, taking advantage of her. And she just yeah. stuck with those feelings that she had. I think there's also something to be said for the way you see yourself when you're with someone, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like the way you see yourself when you're mm-hmm. with someone who desires you or treats you well. Like you see yourself in a very different light sometimes depending on how you're treated or how you're seen by other people. So I do wonder how much of it is like that time in her life, as horrible as it was and as terrible a thing as was done to her, it was kind of the bright spot in. Yeah. During a very dark dark time. time. Mm -hmm. Shall we talk about Lena? Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Do it. 
One of the things that really got me in Lena's story is when she's at the movie theater with Aiden, which again, I was like, oh man, I know this because I remember going to the movies. I went to see my big fat Greek wedding with my high school boyfriend and I wanted so badly to hold his hand, but he didn't initiate it and I was too nervous to do it. And so I spent the entire movie just like thinking about grabbing his hand and not, and I would like position my hand on my leg in a certain way so that it would be accessible if he wanted to take it, you know. And he was probably thinking about the same thing the whole time. Well, not in this case, not with this guy. Oh, no. (laughs) But anyway, so then, you know, she leaves the theater and he follows her and he calls her kid. Yeah. And she notes out loud to him how they're Mm -hmm. in the same grade, but she still really likes it. And man, I think about that a lot, how a part of me finds that like really degrading, like if someone my age were to call me kid, but there's another part of me that actually like really likes that. And this is a part of me that, um, this is like a huge contradiction in me that (laughs) I think about quite a lot, how I feel like I'm like full of these contradictions where I want, I want that acknowledgement, but I also am like, fuck you, you know, like I'm a feminist and I can open my own door, but I want you to open my door. Mm, So like, I don't know, that moment I was like, oh, she's speaking to me. I get it. Well, it's interesting that you say that because Sloan was described as a balance of contradictions. Mm. So... I'm curious about you two ladies. I mean, Emma, you kind of said that already, that those are your contradictions, but can you- Oh, I have many more. I would love to hear more. (laughs) Because for me, for example, I'm a pretty anxious person and I have a difficult time, as I mentioned already earlier in this episode, that I have a difficult time being open and vulnerable and expressing myself. Yet I chose to be an actor, start a podcast with you two, (laughs) and I'm very in tune with my emotions. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Yeah. So it's just, I I was like immediately when, when Sloan said this about herself or Lisa described her as a balance of contradictions, I was like, yeah, I know exactly what that feels like because I think that's my day to day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like the same for me. I'm somebody who craves order in every aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like my biggest contradiction is, like you said, the fact that I chose to be an actor. And, you know, we work in an industry where you never know what your right. next job when is going to be. You never know what you're going to get paid, when, you know, by who. It's a crazy job to have if you're somebody who craves order and yet it's what I was drawn to and I think opposite to you Mariana I also spent the earlier part of my life like really building up walls against people Mm. and really like tamping down emotions like I fucking hated feeling stuff like crying Mm -hmm. like I don't fucking like crying I still don't fucking like crying And if other people like usually I'm okay if other people cry, but sometimes it's kind of like really you're crying right now. Like I just oh ha- god, I have so now much I know now you hate me. So <laughs> I know me too. <laughs> no, but like I oh god, please don't think you can't cry in front of me. I'm but never crying is, in front I of you again. again. Oh god, I hate you guys. <laughs> but it's one of those things. It's like you can't be an actor if you're trying to tamp down your emotions all the time. So it's mm. been like work that I've been trying to undo, mm-hmm. you know, 15 years worth of trying to be tough or whatever it is. And like you can't do that and be a human at the same time. Like that's not going to work. 
What about you, Emma? What else you got in the tank? Yeah, what else? Oh, listen, I'm full of them. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I am a walking contradiction. One time, because I think about this a lot, and I actually, I asked Ricardo once, I was like, what do you think are some of my contradictions? Because I can come up with a lot without blinking an eye. He was like, oh, well, you love order, but you're a mess. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, great. (laughs) But true. I love an action plan, but I'm a procrastinator. I love yoga and finding Zen, but I am quick to jump to frustration or anxiety or anger. Yeah. Yeah. I try to find the good in everyone, but when I'm driving, I hate everyone. (laughs) Yeah. I want to live in the city, but I hate noise. Like, I mean, (laughs) I could I could could write a novel. Mm -hmm. And I find it fascinating. And I know we touched on it in in that bonus episode that we did if you listen to that listeners of meteorologist Dave Santana I talked about that a lot in terms of being a feminist because I find myself with contradictions in that all the time Mm -hmm. like I want the chivalry but I want to be independent Mm -hmm. I want to pay for the check I guess that's my problem (laughs) (laughs) yeah I guess so you can have it all but it causes shit inside of me turmoiling all the time yeah well, on that note of wanting it all, Lisa writes that Lena, going back to Lena, Lena realizing lately Lena. that nothing in the world could possibly be more important. Nothing else matters, or rather, everything else would matter because when you're hot, you have the freedom and liberty to concentrate on the rest of your life. Furthermore, when she becomes practically obsessed with Aiden, her crush, and even before interacting, interacting with him, all of this becomes more important than breathing. Because oh, yeah, Lena yeah. knows. What a teenage girl thing to say. Yes. yes. Yep. That, that if she can just have this one guy who is so perfect, then everything else will be okay. Even not being hot. Everything will be okay and shitty stuff won't matter. Now, I would love to know what is the one thing you want that you currently <sighs> don't have. And if attained, everything would be okay. That is such a good question. <laughs> Do you have oh. an answer to it? <laughs> Do I have an answer? You no, want me to Brandy. go first? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to assume that this is allowed to be a selfish question and we don't all have to say like world peace or something. Oh, of course not. No, this um, is like deep down inside. If you yeah. have this, you know like, everything would be fine. Obviously, there are massive social issues that I wish could be. Re- yeah. We're but I think for, for, well, see, but this is going to sound shitty because it's also not like a material thing. We're but... not judging you. Just say what you I know. Say. I'm going to start crying. <laughs> She's going to just start crying. You better not. <laughs> I think the one, <laughs> the one thing that would make my life perfect if I had it, oh. and this is going to sound so ridiculous, is this idea of being like in flow. Mm-hmm. Or like being present all of the time. I, I I feel like I've met people who are just on and not in a way where they're performing some themselves for you, but just this is them on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. They're just awake and aware all the time. And I find myself falling into pockets of that sometimes. And I think like if I could just be like this all the time if we all could just be that version of ourselves all the time we would all take over the fucking world mm-hmm. it's yeah. something that's so simple i feel like and yet it's so so hard yeah it's just like <laughs> always out of my grasp uh, i say this to you as if i do this and i don't 
But I think meditating is what over long-term practice is yeah. is the uh, the benefit. Yeah, mm. I know that. The uh, it's sort of like the end game. Mm. I forgot how to speak. Menage I literally just was like, what are words? Cheers. We oh, just, oh cheers. No, what's happening? Are you getting a drink she delivery? She just had another oh, drink delivered Oh, my to her. God. Room service? That's what happens when your parents and hubby are downstairs. What did you just text them and then you got a drink? Oh, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) I was waiting for the perfect moment so we could cheers. Cheers to your parents. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Anyway, what I was trying to say is having a a long practice of meditation, you will start to see the benefits of that in the way that you are expressing, I Mm. think. Mm. All right. All right. Well, give us yours, Emma. Yes, one I want to know. Yeah. Uh, one I mean, thing that if you attained, everything would be okay. <laughs> well, there are several things that I often think to myself. If I had this, I would be this. Such as if I had this representation, my career would flourish. Or if I had this notoriety and financial freedom, I could end hunger mm-hmm. or make the world a better place. <laughs> or if I had this skincare product, my skin would be flawless. I mean, the list goes on. <laughs> yeah. But what I've come to learn is that we are always finding one more that thing that we totally. need Completely. or want that Completely. we think will change everything. Yeah. And I hear stories frequently, like all the time, about how actors think that once I book this role, it will change everything. Or once I've won that Academy Award, I'll work all the time, et cetera, et cetera. And it just doesn't work that way. Except yeah. for those rare occasions when it does. And we hate those people. Just kidding. But no that also envy. doesn't mean they don't have other little one exactly. things that, that they're right. you know, in search for. Right. Yeah. right. But once I really let that sink in and I really believed that, it did ease up a lot of my anxiety, realizing that I could book a series regular in a TV show and then not work again for a year. I could right. book Broadway and then not be able to get the top representation that I thought it would bring me, you know? But so again, yes, this is this feels a little selfish. My my examples are pretty selfish. <laughs> <laughs> but are there still things that I say that I wish I could get that I do think would give me more momentum? Like, absolutely. But I have found some peace in knowing that it won't change my life, at least overnight, and that True. the journey has to be enjoyable. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's now what I meditate on when I force yeah. myself That's to meditate. Right. Ask, did you, did this come to you in, in meditation? A meditation. <laughs> well, my mantra of late has been, I trust my journey. Oh. Oh, my. Nice. And that has been, <laughs> oh, my, she said. Freddie's oh like, this is too my. woo-woo for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know, they're going to be crying, y'all. <laughs> Give me 10 minutes. Yeah. Give me, give me another, another menage drink. a trois and I'll be right there. Cheers. You said it. Cheers, oh, that's you right. You said it. Cheers. Oh, boy. Did you answer, Mariana? I didn't. No. But it's pretty no, much yeah. in line with what you guys are saying. Success in my acting career. Like, what does success mean? Success in... During the pandemic, it has been really difficult for me to stay hopeful mm, and open yeah. to opportunities. Sure. I witnessed those around me booking and I tell myself if I could just be a bit more successful 
everything else would be okay. And what is so sad and terrible and hard about this is it overshadows everything right now. And I feel like I'm just at a place where just like the clouds are looming and yeah. and it overshare, overshadows what I have going on. I keep saying if only this one thing, but what if I don't get it? Will mm. that be enough? Am I wasting my time working towards something that will never fully satisfy me? Right. Will (laughs) my mom? That was a sign. Was that a sign? Just answered you. My mom's purse. Which just fell on you. That is so crazy. A purse. That means you're about to have come across a lot of money. Like a whole. Where's my drink? Is the purse filled with money? No, it's like 10 of her purses on a hanger in her walk-in closet just fell from... That's so weird. From Yo, the- that's a sign that you are about that to come to into some sign. good financial freedom. <laughs> well, I need to finish my thought to make sure that the purses heard everything that I was gonna- <laughs> Um, Where was I? Will I be satisfied with just what is? Will I? Ooh. Will I always be in search of it? But that I feel like is a detriment of me and my character. It's awful because I have so much to be grateful for. Like my parents, Andrew and I have had many conversations now being home. And I think it all ends up in the same space. I am the only one that can make myself happy. And happiness comes from within. And it doesn't matter the amount of success that you get. It won't change that. Yeah. Like there has to be some sort of balance. There will always be more success there to mo- be had. Yes. There will always be another mountain. Yeah. But I think that's why what you said, Emma, was so smart is like the journey has to be as enjoyable as what's at the end of it. That's what will make not getting what you're working so hard for not matter. You know what I mean? If you if if you've enjoyed the journey and you've learned things on the journey and you've built character in yourself from that journey, then you haven't lost anything by not attaining what you think you want at the end of it. Of course. Yeah. And I'm and I fully believe what you guys are saying. It's just a lot of times it's hard for you to tell that to yourself. Of yeah. course. And be fully invested in what you're saying or what you say to Absolutely. others. Don't I know it? <laughs> I feel like this question too is so at the heart of what this book is about. Like we're you know, we're talking the book is about female desire and stuff. And mm-hmm. I think we're so quick to think of desire and like sex and sexual desire. But like I find with women a lot of the time, like it's not sex. It's right. There are so many other things that we you are so desire right. and want and crave. Yes. That's yeah. what I love about the concept of this book, too. You know, Lisa says in the beginning that at first she had started to interview men because she right. wasn't sure the direction of how this book was going to go. But she found yes. that their stories just kept kind of being the same. It was really repetitive. Right. Mm-hmm. And it all came down to sex. And what I love about this is, as you just said, it's not just about sex. Mm-hmm. And I love right. how candid some of these women are in terms of pretending that they like something in bed. Because Mm. they don't want the other person who's giving to think that they're not getting what they want. Like, that Mm -hmm. is so profound. Very much so. And something that people don't talk about. And it resonated hardcore. And why Mm. I think a lot of women fake orgasms. Mm -hmm. Because... I, th- I mean, I think that's complicated, but I think they don't want men to think that they're not doing it right. Like, they don't want the guy to feel bad. That they're inadequate. Or, yeah. So they're like, no, yeah, you're doing it fine. 
Or, you know, they get bored and they don't want to say that. And so instead of right. saying what they want, it's just easier to pretend. I mean, yeah. I think that's all in there. Like it's easier to just fake it and not mm-hmm. get what you want, mm-hmm. which is so right. sad. Mm-hmm. Right. I've done yeah. it. Mm. Oh, God, yeah. I wonder what percentage of women have done it. Like 96? I would think say so. That I felt think it's right. really high. You think there's 4% who have just been knocking it out of the park <laughs> every single time? <laughs> Sometimes it comes easy. To... <laughs> I don't know. If you got that voodoo clam. <laughs> well, oh! I'm sorry. This menage a trois needs to take a juice of that one. Throwback. To the voodoo clam. <laughs> <laughs> Not to bring this down because I... I'm enjoying being on this DJ high. <laughs> wiki, wiki. Bring it back. I'm changing tunes. I mean, that's one of the reasons that Lena says that she doesn't want to say no to any of those three guys is because she didn't yeah. want to give them any reason not to like her. Yeah. I wondered about that moment for such a long time after I read it because... Mm-hmm. It does seem clear she was slipped something. Am I yes. the only one who thought that? Oh, no. no I think that's she, she was Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So when she said that about not wanting to say no, I was like, was it that? Or was it that you couldn't have done anything even if you had wanted to? Like, I was so bewildered by this moment mm-hmm. and the way she describes it and what she says about it. But, I mean, even if you take out the the drug... I mean, have you ever been in a position where, like, you wanted to say no to something, but you didn't? Because like, Absolutely. I sh- certainly have. Absolutely. So I think... And that's also a really scary situation to find yourself in. Yeah. The guy who you came to this strange place with is gone, and now you're alone with three guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, that already is a terrifying situation. I mean, if yeah. I get on the subway and there's not a woman in the car with me, there's only men, I get out of that subway car. Like, I oh, can't really? imagine being... Oh, my God, absolutely. I'm not staying in a subway car where there's no other women. Oh, wow. Fuck that. But I'm also coming <laughs> from a place where, like, I used to get on the subway at, like, 3.30 in the morning. to go Right. To that's the thing. Or, like, right. working in restaurants. I'm getting off work at, like, midnight or one. You know what I mean? I'm not staying right. in a train car right. where there's no women. Hmm. So, like, I feel like I am hyper aware of that. But she's in a strange house with three guys. Because you're, you're in such a vulnerable position and she had she already had a lot of um image issues yeah because she just felt lesser than she felt lesser than her best friend Jennifer because Jennifer had a guy she had never really been with a guy until she was with right. Aiden yeah well and like you said like even once she's with Aiden even then she has image issues like even then she can't accept that like she might be attractive like she still kind of feels lesser than even after she's getting this validation from him yeah so yeah so clearly there were a lot of image issues you know what i just remembered that i completely (laughs) blocked out of my memory and it's weird that i'm thinking of it now because this really would be more in tune with like a maggie story i completely forgot about the fact that when i was 16 i met a guy online and i don't even remember what it was because we didn't, there were no like dating websites and I wouldn't have been on those. I think maybe it could have been like a chat room on AOL. I connected with this guy who was a cop who was 22, I think. He was Jewish and we connected on the fact that he, um, because I was part of like a youth organization in high school called BBYO, a Jewish Mm -hmm. youth group. 
And he was like a, a TA or like a counselor for BBYO, like one of the adult chaperones. Mm. And so I was like, oh, well, he's trustworthy because we have this in common. And I was in a musical at the time. I was doing a production of Bat Boy. And we had been type we had been talking with each other online. And he came and saw the production and brought me flowers. You met him. He came to see my show. Oh. Because I guess also I had told him what I was doing, and then he showed up at one of my performances. And I was like, oh, my God, what are you doing here? But the worst part is I went back to his apartment afterward because I didn't know how to say no. (sighs) And he was a cop, and I saw, like, handcuffs in his apartment (gasps) and, like, the baton. And then I freaked the fuck out because I thought, what if he's been lying this entire time? And what if if this is his thing, but, like, this is where it ends for me? And so I was like, I need to go right now. And he took me home, but he continued messaging me online. And I remember saying to him, I'm not even 18. Like, don't you think— we need to wait to talk to each other until I'm at least legal. Like, you are a police officer. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, yeah, I guess so. And then we stopped talking. But, like, even now, like, he likes some of my Instagram photos. Like, he is still around somehow. And I completely forgot that any of this even happened. But that was a – that could have been a terrible situation. It was because I didn't know how to say no and because I didn't want him not to like me. Wow. I just thought wow. of that. That's terrifying. Well, sort of on that sort of on that note, I find it really fascinating that Sloane seems to be such a take charge person. Mm. She Sloan, seems are we moving into Sloan? Yeah. She seems to be someone who's very much in control of her own destiny. And yet when she meets Richard at the first restaurant where they work mm-hmm. together, he has this very understated way of taking control of the moment. You know, he's supposed to be, I think, giving her some of the food that they make at the restaurant. She's supposed to be learning. The matzo balls. Well, I don't think oh. they were supposed to be making matzo balls. I think he was supposed to be, like, giving her a tour of the kitchen and right. stuff. But he ends up taking over this moment, and they end up making matzo balls for the that end up in the family meal. Mm-hmm. And then later she describes bending over in a certain way so that he can look at her from another room. And then when this threesome gets started, it does seem to me a little bit like, I don't know if I want to go as far as to say that he somehow orchestrated this, Hmm. but he seems a little more okay with it than she does. And I, well, I mean, what guy wouldn't want to have a threesome? Totally. But like, I found myself struggling with who Sloan purports herself to be and then finding this contradiction where maybe like Lena she just doesn't want to say no to this moment oh I mean I very much had the sense that she and Richard sort of seem like equal partners like they put this image of themselves of themselves out in the world that they're equals but I don't know I, I just felt there was something dominating in him and something that acquiesces in her Did you guys have that sense about her at all? I didn't. I felt like I felt like she was the one that initiated it, actually, that she had the upper hand in getting it to happen. But because it was her first time, she didn't realize that it would actually be harder than she thought. I mean, I think that Mm. once she was in the middle of it, she was like, oh, maybe this isn't going to be as fun and easy as I had imagined. But 
I, I don't know. I still think I didn't have that reaction. Yeah, I agree with you, Emma, because there was one point when they were in the middle of the act when Richard was basically fucking Karen from behind <laughs> that he was Richard was looking at Sloan and all of a sudden there was something to the effect of that he could see the, her soul leaving her mm-hmm. that he saw that and immediately stopped because he saw that yeah. there was something in her eyes where she was like, this is not what I thought it would but feel like. But then what does she do? She continues. Yeah. She's like, well, stopping now isn't going to make my husband unfuck this woman. We might as well go on. I did yeah. sort of just have a sense of like, she's maybe she wants to keep going. Maybe she doesn't. But either way, it did seem like she's kind of doing this for him a little bit. And I also thought it was really curious that the woman in question, I guess her name is Karen, mm-hmm. yeah. originally goes to the husband to suggest this threesome. Supposedly, like, right? Well, you got to ask my wife yeah. or like you should bring this up to my wife, which just also felt a little questionable to me. That that's the way this would have gone down. I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. But like I did sort of find that connection between Lena and Sloan in that as much as Sloan puts up this front, I do feel like this might be a contradiction in her where she is still fighting against that need to please. Hmm. She does talk about a lot about fitting the role, fitting the role as being a hostess, fitting the role of being in front of the house. Like she always seems like she's fitting this mold of what Mm. she either wants to be or what she wants, like coming from the family that she came from, what she wants other people to perceive her to be like. Yeah. So I I do get that. And one more thing that I did want to bring up, she does ask a lot of questions that that I find very interesting. Like, could anyone really be satisfied with only wanting one person for the rest of their life? So I think right. she Which is, is something this... I've brought up before with us. I think right. that's also really real. Yeah. Right. Which I feel like that's why she's going back and forth. And that's why she d- just, yeah, there is a part of her that is going, not knowing now what this will mean because it can never be erased and you will never right. see your spouse the same way again. Yeah. Your relationship will never be the same way again. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I though I've I've really look at her as I as if she's kind of like a free bird. She's just experimenting. I didn't write down the quote, but I remember she said something about not wanting to be one of those people that is afraid of certain genders just because of their physical anatomy. You know that mm-hmm. she wants to be as open as being able to to feel what she wants to feel from a person's soul and not just what they have down there. And so I yeah. I, I do think that she. She's a little more of a free spirit. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you go get it. You go try. Totally. You want to try. <laughs> well, there was a moment in Sloane's story that really made me pause and reflect for a moment. Not about threesomes or <laughs> the dirty biz. But it was when she was thinking about what kind of woman she wanted to be. And it was said of her, all her life, this had been a somewhat grave consideration. She referenced Audrey Hepburn and Breakfast at Tiffany's and Kim Novak and Vertigo, both women giving her inspiration for the woman that she wanted to be, for how they didn't apologize for themselves, and they moved under a gauze of smoke and intrigue. Hmm. I love that. Hmm. Yeah. So this got me thinking, if wondering, if many of us ladies follow fictional female characters to build our own character— and I wanted to know if either of you have ever come across fictional or non-fictional 
Yeah, or non-fictional female characters that made you want to be a certain type of woman. And if so, have those characters changed as you've gotten older? Has your idea of what type of woman you want to be changed at all since you were younger? You know, I like a layered question. This question is so fun. I know. (laughs) We're coming up with these questions, man. Wow. (laughs) Well, I guess for me, what came first to mind, which is it's really funny, because I there's there's a lot of answers to this question that I have for different stages of the game. Did you guys ever see um don't tell mom the babe the babysitter's dead? Oh my dead. god, I used to see that VHS at Blockbuster throwback. all the time With and my Christina mom never Applegate. let me rent yeah. it. Did you watch it, Emma? No. Oh, my mom oh, never let me rent really it. It's fun. It's so great. There's oh. a young Josh Charles yes, and his dreamy. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Christina Applegate in the, she's a babysitter. She's really young. She's 17 years old, but then the babysitter dies, like that's taking care of her and her younger siblings. So she actually uh, has to make money during the summer and she like I think she goes to into an advertising agency and has to dress up and like be like a power woman, a power executive. Right. The irony of it is that all of them believe that she's much older, that her siblings are her children. And she is like so real that she's even more real than the actual adults. Like Hmm. I found that to be like so empowering as a kid that I was just like, look at this like young woman just really being able to like show and strut her stuff without being the age. But age doesn't really matter because if you really are genuine and powerful inside, like it doesn't matter Ah. right so I was one and then in my adolescent years Dirty Dancing baby from Dirty Dancing oh Oh, man (laughs) Frances Frances Hossman I mean she was known as baby but it's another one where everybody saw her as such a baby like that was her nickname because they didn't think that she was adult enough to make decisions for herself she was very worldly but she was kept in her own little cocoon yeah and I always felt like as an only child and everybody was so overprotective of me that they didn't really though they did but I kind of felt this way that I was kind of like held back into really like coming out of my cocoon and becoming a butterfly <laughs> so nobody puts all. Mariana in a corner nobody puts baby in the corner <laughs> um now um the wife with glenn close did you guys see that oh my god it came out i think in 2018 if i'm not mistaken that one um she's phenomenal she is amazing she's the wife of this incredible author what we then find out is she's the one that's basically writing all these stories for him and she's his inspiration but she is basically like stays behind him and is like like kind of in the shadows of who he is because he knows how she knows how much he wants this for himself. So it's like that type of thing that if you love someone so much and they're living out their dream, you're okay by like standing back and just Mm. watching him relish in what he wants to become. So it's like a lot of different things. But the last thing I want to (laughs) say, and now being in Miami, now more than ever, because I'm now realizing the family is the most important thing. I feel like now as a more mature and experienced woman that my mom is yeah. someone who I want to like try Aww. to emulate. Because yeah. there, there's she was the, she's the person that there's nothing more important in the world than her family. That like family for her is everything. There's no other person in the world who is more caring, more loving, more dedicated to her family than my mom. 
waiting to go to school. Awesome. Yeah. She waited to go to school because she wanted to be with me until I left. Like she, she was, she's just everything. And I hope that if, and when I do become a mom, that I could really be just like a glimpse of what she has been for me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. It was like, I thought a lot about this question. So thank you for (laughs) posing this, Emma. (laughs) I have a shorter answer. (laughs) So when I was a kid, this will come as no surprise to you ladies. I hated the Disney princesses, Uh but I always loved the Disney villains. Mm -hmm. So Ursula and Maleficent were like my two favorites. And like, (laughs) I just loved that they were like powerful and Ursula's songs were so good. Like they were the best songs in the (laughs) movie. They were really good. Yeah. And like both of them ended, you know, their stories ended up badly, but I was always like, who gives a fuck? They went down fighting. Like, I want to be like that. (laughs) But as I've gotten older, obviously, you can't. You can't live like a Disney supervillain. You can't. I mean. You can't. You can't if you want people to like you. Uh, But did you guys see the documentary? It's also Disney, actually, I think. Did you guys see the documentary Elephants? No. It's magnificent. But it's about this group of elephants that make this sort of pilgrimage every year you know the water in Africa where they are it starts to dry up and so they basically follow the water but it's this very complex intricate path that they have to take to get there and they follow the matriarch this matriarch elephant who knows the path and she knows sort of other paths that you can take if that path isn't working she knows where the predators are and where you have to be careful like they all follow this matriarch elephant who's mm. just the oldest, wisest one. And she's just kind of the one that they trust mm. to get them to the other side on time. Because if they don't get there, they're going to dehydrate and die. My basically, oh. this God. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, I really just want to someday elephant? be that mama elephant. <laughs> like, who they all just know will take care of them yeah. and who knows the path. And actually, Mariana, hearing you talk about your mom, like, I do feel like that is sort of my mom. Like, there is nothing that I could could call my mom with that she wouldn't just know the answer. Even if she doesn't know the answer, she knows how to get the answer. Mm. And it's always calm. And it's always going to be fine. Yeah. So... Well, now I feel bad you both have referenced your mom, which I hadn't thought of because I really was just thinking fictional. But so I'm going to start mine by saying my mom because because it's not just because you both did, but you are reminding me also the power of my mother. Yes. And I agree with with everything. Okay, yeah, my mom. Okay. (laughs) My idea of what type of woman I want to be has definitely changed throughout the years. So I used to want to be the perfect keeper of the house and wife like Betty from Mad Men. Uh Then I used to try to embody what I thought being a sexy woman was, like always looking put together and dressed scantily for the guys like Mm. Jessica Rabbit. Then I've always wanted to be the fun, carefree, go with the flow type of woman in all aspects of relationships with guys and with girlfriends like Penny Mm -hmm. and Almost Famous. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And then as I've grown into myself, I feel like I've been channeling Joe from Little Women. 
one of my oh. favorite movies. The strong-headed, stubborn, passionate about my work, non-male-obsessed woman who is almost proud of the fact that I am not the partner who keeps the house cooking and cleaning and is a bit of a mess. And I've come to really, like, own that about myself and kind yeah. of started to, like, <laughs> love that, even oh, though Ricardo would say otherwise. I'm okay with my mess. Good. But what's come to be most important to me in terms of the type of woman that I want to be is I want to own my power and not be afraid to speak up for myself and others and not apologize for things I don't have to apologize for and to be caring and thoughtful and it's a lot. She wants it all. It's a lot of things, you guys. She wants it all. <laughs> and to not shy away from my quirky, awkward characteristics. I want to be soft and hard at the same time. Oh, a contradiction. A, yeah. Oh, I love that. Like flea bag and flea bag. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. On this fun track of Sloan. <laughs> I love Sloan. I really like her. I do, I do too. I don't know what's going to happen, but so far I really like her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the comparison of Sloan and Richard's sexual life to the setting of a dinner table. You know I love a personalization moment, and this one, she nailed it. She says, the table itself would be long and thick. <laughs> <laughs> Hey now! <laughs> I guess we know what we know what Richard's serving up. I guess or uh, never mind. Oh. <laughs> He's got more of those matzo balls for. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded so good. <laughs> the table itself would be long and thick, decorated with antlers and other bones and flowers. Ooh. To drink, there would be wine and port. And the guests would eat their dessert and salad at once. I love that. There would be velvet chairs and simple wooden bar stools, but guests could also sit on the table, naked or in Baroque dress. In this vein, how would you two describe your sexual life as if it were (laughs) a three-course meal? Because you know I love my food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you do. Wow, what a question. <laughs> to start, we, you would have a glass of champagne, mm. then the aperitif, mm, caviar, fancy. and finish it off with some sushi. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. And finish it, <laughs> finish it off with, <laughs> it off with some, sorry, Emma, with <laughs> rare steak or tuna tartare. Yeah. Mine would be first course oysters, second course like a spicy squid ink pasta, and then the the dessert would be like a molten hot lava cake that like the chocolate oozes out of when you like oh yeah cut into it. (laughs) (laughs) This is fun. God, my sounds lame compared to y'all's fancy ass meals. (laughs) My first course. (laughs) (laughs) My first course. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't say. Oh no. Would be here. Brisket? Wait, 
Wait, don't skip the first course. Don't skip the first course. Okay, my first course would be a cup of tea with honey and sugar. (laughs) I did not expect that. Followed by a slow-cooked brisket (laughs) smothered in barbecue sauce. Yes. Followed by... S'mores. Oh, oh! I feel like all of your things were very unexpected. Emma. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, there we have. Are you guys hungry now? <laughs> hungry for something <laughs> for a menage a trois. You're welcome, husbands. <laughs> All right, women. Thank you all so much for listening. A big thank you to Jimmy Fontanez and Meteorite Productions, as well as Text Me Records for our music. We are doing something a little different this month. For every review we get during the month of December, we will each donate $1 to a chosen female-centric charity that we will announce on our Insta page. Yes! So you all have the whole month to write those reviews. We would love to hear from you. Yeah. Yes. yes. Help us Make raise us that money. Make us donate a lot of money. Yeah. Next week, we'll be reading up until page 156 in the hard copy of the book. That's between <sighs> chapters Lena and Maggie. <sighs> Can't wait. Make sure you're following us on our Instagram at AreTheseBooksDrunk to keep up with next week's cocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Cousins, always happy hour. Emma, did you just burp? I am so drunk. (laughs) I don't know what's happened. These books are drunk. 